Comedy Junkies and Cinephiles, it's time for the SLS Cast with your hosts, Matt and Tim. And welcome, one and all, to episode 314 of the SLS Cast. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, this is the pie episode of SLS Cast because it turns out, well, come on, everybody knows what pie is, and I'm not talking about the liquid cake version. No, I'm talking about that wonderful math deal that we've all dealt with. And yes, while it's technically 3.14, I have been wanting to do pie for a long time. So, 314. That's what we're going with. Folks, I, of course, am Matt, and coming to us all the way from sunny California would be our resident Sony employee, Tim! How are you doing, Matthew? Oh, Timothus, I do well. Timothus, oh, we're going back to our, our Roman names. Well, you've got. I mean, it's always easier when you can do like Matthias and all this, and I and I and I've never had something fun that I could call you in that in that vein, and so Timothus just popped into my head, and I've decided to go with that. Now you will occasionally have to be Timothus. Timothus with the Lispethus. <laughs> You're a poet, and you didn't know it. I like to think that. Matthew, have you been to uh, Walmart lately? I know that Aldi is like your go-to uh, store. Do you ever shop at Walmart? Not really. I, I, now, if uh, I do go to my local Walmart pretty frequently, uh, only because the banking hours, they have a branch of my bank um, inside, and so their hours are a lot more flexible than the regular branch hours. And so I will use that real quick whenever I need to run in and make a quick deposit or something if it's not during regular branch hours. So I guess to answer your question in short, yes, but not often. Gotcha. Living in Los Angeles, one doesn't ever venture to Walmart that often. So you'll go out to the suburbs and you'll see, you'll start seeing like the Walmart grocery stores, like the Walmart markets, whatever they call them now. And then you'll see like Mm -hmm. the smaller little stores, like the city Walmarts. And then you'll start getting into the regular Walmarts and the Walmart super centers and they get larger. The Walmarts become larger as you head further out into the suburbs. Well, I miss going to Walmart because growing up in Tomball, Texas, you always saw the most interesting of folk at Walmart. That's where everybody of all different shapes and sizes and personalities came together. Not because that they want to, but because they all just have to go to Walmart. And experiences abound in Walmart. And I miss running in to experiences like this one from yahoo.com and uh, well I guess it was originally from the Associated Press and then yahoo.com posted it without reading the title of it it's from Wichita Falls, Texas this is where all this went down Uh, and it says this police in northern Texas say a woman has been banned from a local Walmart after she spent several hours driving an electric shopping cart around the store's parking lot while drinking wine from a Pringles can 
Police tell the Times Record News that officers responded to a report of a suspicious person around 9 a.m. on a Friday at a Walmart in Wichita Falls. The city is about 125 miles northwest of Dallas, yada, 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 near the Oklahoma border. Yes. Even in the parking lot, folks, you can see someone like this person, <laughs> at least in Wichita Falls, illegally doing donuts with an electric cart, drinking wine from a Pringles can at 9 o'clock in the morning. Well, I, I will say personally, that the Pringles can is a nice touch. Um, I would also like to say in my own defense, I don't live anywhere near there. (laughs) I have my own version of Houstonian trash, I suppose. But (laughs) You know what they say? If you live by one Walmart, you live by all the Walmarts. Well, by extension, then I suppose we live next to each other? In some weird Walmart twilight zone, yes, we do. That's pretty funny, though. I mean, honestly, the kicker is the Pringles can. Yeah. Now, are we are we sure, like, was it literally wine directly poured in, or was there, like, a wine bottle hidden inside the Pringles can and, like, trying to disguise it, like, covert, like, like the old Malcolm in the Middle episode where they have the rum and the suntan lotion bottle kind of a thing, you know? Apparently, I mean, it, it, it must have been some very potent wine if... if- she was able to fit a little bottle in there. The woman had, quote, reportedly been riding the electric cart around the parking lot for about three hours, end quote. <laughs> Either it was potent wine in a small bottle in that can, or she thought, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to mix a little of my box wine with this flavor <laughs> of Pringles, because who says that a, a, a Zinfandel blend mixed with... <laughs> with, ranch yeah or 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 pepperoni pizza pringles there you go pepperoni pizza zinfandel that's that's what i'm talking about see this is what happens this is the, the deconstruction of america right here you have you start off with the flavored chips the wackadoodle flavored chips you get the wackadoodle flavored candy canes and now we're gonna have wackadoodle flavored zinfandels if indeed this lady was classy enough to go down that route that's right. And I think we've got some news to get to. If you want, should we go ahead and jump on in? We shall. Or should. Then <laughs> We shall. Either way. We, 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 yes, we shall. Then here we go, folks. It's the news. And I've got uh, two pieces of news here. Both of them are the hopefully really going to happen category of news. First up from me, from Birth Death Movie, birthmoviesdeath.com by way of Scott Wampler. It's official. Eddie Murphy will star in Coming to America 2. And Craig Brewer's directing. That's right, folks. Rumors of a Coming to America sequel have been circling for some time, but then rumors about new Eddie Murphy projects are a dime a dozen. At various points, has been linked to Quentin Tarantino, a twin sequel to be called Triplets, a new stand-up special, you name it. The excitement surrounding these rumors is a testament to our enduring love for Eddie Murphy, while the fact that they almost never pan out is a testament to how difficult it is to get him signed on to a new project. 
That is why today's news then, and this is from the 11th of January, so I guess a few days ago's news, as we are recording on the evening of the 14th. According to Deadline, Murphy has signed on to headline a sequel to 1988's Coming to America. The film will be directed by Craig Brewer, who just finished working with Murphy on Netflix's Dolomite Is My Name, which is expected to arrive later this year. And, uh... He goes on to talk a little bit about it. Now, apparently, according to Deadline, the sequel will find Akeem learning about a long-lost son and must return to America to meet his unlikely heir to the throne of Zamunda. The intention is to bring back the original cast, which includes Arsenio Hall, Shara Headley, and John Amos, as, long, as well as James Earl Jones. So we'll see what's ha- we'll see how it's all going to pan out. Uh, that is the majority of the article. I will say I'm a little skeptical about this long lost son because while they do make the gag at the beginning of the first movie where the naked chick has clearly been performing fellatio upon dear uh, Akeem, there's really no other way unless it was one of his bathing servants that he somehow inadvertently knocked up that he has a long lost kid because... Uh, you know, he's such a young guy. I want to say it's, it's like, it's like his 21st birthday in 1988 when they do the movie. And yeah. And so he's only ever going after, um, his, you know, the girl, Sherry Headley's character. So I'm not really sure how that aspect's going to go, but I really want to see it. I think quite frankly, I think it would be pretty funny if they include a gag in the film where somehow they end up in a cemetery and um, the two guys from Trading Places, they end up next to their gravestones. I think that would be pretty cool. I don't know. Tim, thoughts, questions, comments, concerns? I don't... Who is Craig Brewer? I mean, and I I guess John Landis is not going to have anything to do with it. He, of course, directed the original Coming to America... This Craig Brewer uh, looks like his last movie, he worked on The Legend of Tarzan, he worked on Hustle and Flow, Black Snake Moan, Mm -hmm. and Footloose. There's nothing here that's making me really excited for coming to America. I mean, his last really good movie was 2006's Black Snake Moan, but that's not... I thought he did a really good job in Hustle and Flow, myself. Uh, And Dolomite is My Name appears to be pretty interesting, at least. Uh, it's a movie based on Rudy, Ma- Rudy Ray Moore, so that's kind of interesting. It, it is what it is. I'm excited. I, I would like to see it just for fun. I think it would be relatively easy to bring everyone back. Um, I actually did look up some images for Miss uh, uh, Headley or Headley, and she still looks fantastic. Um, I, I, I think that, I mean, I think it could work well. Uh, John Amos is still alive, obviously, and James Earl Jones is still alive. So, I mean, it would not be difficult to get the core cast back and have some fun with it. I don't know. Like, comedies are so different now. I mean, you look at Zoolander 2. Personally, I would have thought Zoolander 2, like, that would have been a no-brainer great sequel. Like, if they did it right, it would have been great. But, of course, they f***ed it up. Or they messed it up. 
Same with Dumb and Dumber 2. Like, Dumb and Dumber 2 would have been a great idea. It could have been such a good seat. But then they went down a totally different path and decided to do something that was still too familiar, but different enough that it was just kind of weird. So I'm hoping... I, I just don't I th- know. I, I just don't know how I feel about there's this. There's just so much they can do now with the idea of immigration and the American dream that has changed in the intervening 31 years now that I think they can do really, really well with this, especially depending upon if they go with this long-lost son bit, what the son's life is going to be like. I mean, you could make him... You you could make him... um someone from the hood you could make him a super successful lawyer you can do you could do just regular middle class guy working at a jamba juice for all that matters and here we you know here we have him being rescued by long lost dad who he has no idea um and at the same time you could see how things have changed in terms of the way people view McDonald's now or, uh, you know, McDowell's, as it were. I think it, I think there's enough that's changed that they can touch on the things that will be callbacks to the original. But at the same time, have enough new things to play off of that it could be funny. Now that's no guarantee just because they did let us down with Dumb and Dumber 2. I think the the real letdown for me was Zoolander 2 mainly because they just went completely lazy with it and they didn't have to. But Dumb and Dumber 2 I can see it not working as well or I can see why it didn't work as well mainly because uh they didn't they just didn't write the characters very well. Um but I think I, I think that there's there's a whole different feel to it that you can achieve with coming to America. And granted, John Landis isn't gonna be a part of it, it looks like, but we'll see what happens. So I'm hopeful. I'm I'm hopeful about it. But what do you have for us, sir? All right, I'm going to do two pieces of news. First up, from Variety.com, Verna Bloom, actress in Animal House, High Plains Drifter, dies at 80. This here is written by Rachel Yang, and it says this. Verna Bloom, who appeared in Animal House and worked with the likes of Martin Scorsese, died on January 9th in Bar Harbor, Maine. Her rep confirmed to Variety she was 80 years old. The cause was complications of dementia, her family stated. Although Bloom appeared extensively in theater and TV, she is most noted for her work in film. One of her memorable roles came in John Landis's 1978 comedy Animal House, in which she appeared as the drunken, debauched wife of Dean Wormer. She also appeared in three films by Martin Scorsese, Street Scenes from 1970, The Last Temptation of Christ from 1988, and After Hours, 1985. And two by Clint Eastwood, High Plains Drifter, 1973, and Honky Tonk Man, 1982. 
Bloom was born in Lynn, Massachusetts in 1938. After graduating from Boston University, she moved to Denver and started a local theater. Moving to New York in the mid-1960s, she starred as Charlotte Corday in the Broadway revival of Marat Said. And shortly after, on the recommendation of the writer-historian Studs Terkel, made her film debut in Haskell Wexler's Medium Cool in 1969, in which she played a young Appalachian mother caught up in the street violence of the 1968 Democratic Convention in Chicago. For her performance, she was nominated for both lead and supporting actress by the National Society of Film Critics, and the article goes on from there. Again, that was R.I.P. Verna Bloom, actress in Animal House, High Plains Drifter, dies at 80 via Variety. Next up here, a piece of news that was actually published a couple days after Christmas on December 27th, and I'm just curious to hear what you have to say about this, Matthew. It pertains to Holmes and Watson, and I personally have never met a single person who went and saw Holmes and Watson. And that goes to say, I've never met anybody that went and stayed for the entire movie or left 10 minutes in that apparently a lot of people are doing. Via MovieWeb.com, even Netflix didn't want Holmes and Watson refusing to buy it from Sony, written by Ryan Scott. Again, it was published on December 27th, and it says this. Netflix could have purchased Holmes and Watson from Sony, but the streaming service apparently knew to not cut a deal for this critical disaster. The latest comedy to see John C. Riley and Will Ferrell team up together has been off to a very bad start, despite the fact that moviegoers have been dying to see the duo get back together for a decade, ever since they last appeared alongside one another in Step Brothers back in 2008. Unfortunately, this take on the Sherlock Holmes tale didn't land and Netflix wanted no part of it. Buried within a new box office report detailing how Holmes and Watson is faring on the financial front so far, it's been revealed that Sony offered Netflix the chance to buy the film from them. However, for reasons that weren't made clear in the report, the company declined to do so. Netflix surely would have had the opportunity to screen the comedy ahead of time, and after viewing it, it's quite possible that the quality, or lack thereof, is what influenced their Seemingly wise decision not to get involved. Holmes and Watson debuted with a very rare 0% on Rotten Tomatoes. Things have since slightly improved for what it may be worth, as the movie has a 6% approval rating. The audience rating isn't much better, scoring just a 25% as of this writing. Taking that into account and seeing as Sony tried to dump the movie to Netflix before cutting their losses and doing with it what they could, it's clear the studio understood that they had a serious dud on their hands. And the article does go on for a little bit more. Again, that was via movieweb.com. Even Netflix did not want Holmes and Watson refusing to buy it from Sony, written by Ryan Scott. Matthew, have you met a poor soul who actually went and saw Holmes and Watson? Oh, better, better than that. I am related to a poor soul who not only went to Holmes and Watson, but stayed for the entirety of it. Did they die during it, or...? <laughs> No, my dad, after he left us uh, to go see his sister during his Christmas tour, uh, they decided they wanted to go and see a flick or whatever somehow or other. 
Holmes and Watson ended up being said flick. Um, and as soon as he left the movie theater, he had put on his Facebook, uh, that he was not pleased with the movie. He can understand why people were walking out of it. It's really not good. Wait. If you even have any hope of wanting to see this, wait for it to come out on Blu-ray or whatever. Blah, 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 blah. So I guess it, I, I, I guess my aunt must have been okay with staying to the end and so he decided to stay to the end with her i'm not sure but yeah they didn't walk out of it but they weren't pleased that they saw it either they said it was bad i'm curious but i don't know why i'm curious one of my resolutions one of my movie going resolutions for 2019 is to not be suckered into seeing movies i get it bumblebee has a high rotten tomatoes rating but i'm not a transformers fan i'm not going to be suckered into going Uh, and spending two and a half hours watching another Transformers movie. Same thing with Aquaman. I'm not going to be suckered into it because James Wan is doing it. Not going to do that. I I don't know. It's the first moon to cross a billion dollars. I think I'm going to have to go see it. I wanted to see it anyway, so I'm probably going to end up seeing it myself. Uh, the Bumblebee one, I assume, I'm, I'm, I'm leaning towards giving it a chance, but even then it won't be until, it won't be in the theater. It, it'll be when it comes out on Blu-ray. I might go run down to the, to the red box and throw like three bucks at it. This movie though, after talking to a friend of mine at a tapped restaurant one evening, now that I kind of know a little bit of the backstory on this, I'm hoping that when, when Holmes and Watson comes out, on blu-ray or whatever that there will be an unrated version and i would watch the unrated version so that i can see what the actual movie was supposed to be but i'm willing to i'm willing to wait and see what the unrated version looks like this is my last one sir my last one from playlist uh theplaylist.net by way of charles barfield paul schrader says his next film will be a western starring ethan hawk and willem dafoe That's right, folks. Even though filmmaker Paul Schrader has had an incredible career, including some of the film industry's greatest works, his 2018 first reform might very well be his best yet. Now, as the writer-director does the publicity rounds, picking up award after award for the film, we're starting to get word on what he might have next on his plate. According to Eric Weber from Awards Ace, it would appear that Schrader is moving from first reform to a new western, but he's bringing along his star... But he's bringing along his star along to this new project as well. Uh, let's see here. Weber treated or Weber tweeted, quote, also spoke with Paul Schrader fresh off his hashtag Critics Choice Awards original screenplay win, told me he's writing a Western titled Nine Men From Now with Ethan Hawke and Willem Dafoe as its two leads, end quote. That's right, folks. <sighs> now, the thing is, is that... It hasn't been, like, completely greenlit because there's no release date planned. There's not even an official announcement that the project exists. However, um, if he's already got um, Ethan Hawke and Willem Dafoe somehow linked to the project, and especially coming off of such a hit as First Reformed, I am highly hopeful that this one will be made tim i know you are a super huge fan of first reformed and uh most i also believe of paul schrader in general are you excited to hear that he is trying to put together a western as his next film i think that'd be pretty neat i love westerns and paul schrader's writing i like his character development a lot of people 
don't share the same sentiment towards Paul Schrader's work. There's no denying that the character work in the in the writing of First Reformed is absolutely stellar. I mean, it takes risks. It's a juicy, juicy, juicy film. So if he brings that writing gravitas and filmmaking style and his filmmaking style to a Western, I'm down for it. And I love Willem Dafoe and I love Ethan Hawke. And off the top of my head, I can't think of a movie that the two of them appear together in. So... It'll be a nice little treat. I'm a super huge Willem Dafoe fan, and I am definitely a solid Ethan Hawke fan. And like you, I'm also a sucker for a really good Western, so I would be down to see Nine Men From Now. And I hope we get to see that very soon from now. And that, sir, is my news. What do you got? All right, so I'm going to close out my news with two shortish pieces of news. You can even call them reaction pieces because i'm in this to hear what you have to say matthew first up from io9.com christopher mcquarrie is making two more mission impossible movies back to back written by jermaine lucier and it says this the sixth mission impossible film fallout may have been the franchise's best yet and now the man primarily responsible for that success is coming back for not one but two more missions. Variety reports that Christopher McQuarrie, who also directed the excellent fifth installment in the franchise, Rogue Nation, has been hired to write and direct two more Mission Impossible films, which will shoot back-to-back, possibly as early as later this year. The aim is to release them during summer 2021 and summer 2022, avoiding Cruise's next big film, Top Gun Maverick, which will be out in 2020. And apparently McQuarrie confirmed this on Twitter. Second piece of reaction news via Deadline Hollywood. Screen Gems wins deal to turn Ubisoft video game Just Dance into a movie. Written by Mike Fleming Jr. And this says, Exclusive. In competitive bidding, Screen Gems has acquired motion picture rights to Just Dance, the widely popular Ubisoft video game. Screen Gems will develop a film based on a franchise that is the best-selling music video game of all time, with 120 million players worldwide in all age ranges. Multiple studios competed for the rights deal. Ubisoft, Film and Television, and Olive Bridge Entertainment will develop and produce the project. Jason Altman and Margaret Boykin will produce for Ubisoft Film and Television alongside Jody Hildebrandt and Will Gluck for Olive Bridge Entertainment. They're out to writers for a script. Gluck, whose directing efforts include Easy A, Friends with Benefits, Annie, and most recently Peter Rabbit is not directing this, I'm told. The deal fits the mandate that Sony chief Kazuo Hirai underscored at CES that the studio's emphasis will to make properties that can be exploited on multiple platforms. Just Dance is incredibly popular on Sony's PlayStation platform, though it isn't exclusive to PlayStation, and the game, and potentially the film, features many of Sony Music's top artists. And it goes on from there, and it says that Just Dance was first released back in 2009. Matthew, uh, what do you think about either of these? Christopher McQuarrie doing two more Mission Impossible movies, probably back-to-back, and then a Just Dance movie. Look, 
I got nothing against the Mission Impossible franchise. I'm just kind of over it now. Um, they're good fun. They're solidly made. It's just, you know, it's just the same thing over and over and over again. So that's why I was a little harder on it. I think I gave, didn't, didn't I give the last one a three? Three, three and a half, something like that. Something like that. I, I like, yeah, I like the movies. There's absolutely nothing wrong with them. They're always a treat to watch, but I just don't, I guess I'm, I'm just kind of over it now. I'm just kind of done. And, 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 and it's okay that I don't want to watch 18 Mission Impossible movies, but clearly the box office is there. The overall, Critic scores and stuff are there, so people are going to continue to go see them. Uh, and if they can knock out two more installments at once and maybe finally bring the Ethan uh, Hunt story to a close, then good luck and Godspeed. Hey, you know, more power to them. I'm sure we'll end up covering them for the show anyway. I guess we'll see what happens in a couple years. Um, to the last, to the latter part, I I don't really understand how they're going to work the concept of the video game in, but there's always been dance movies that people like and love, and they're usually good for teenagers and stuff uh, that generally end up becoming cult favorites in some form or fashion. I I think that did did they did they happen to give a number? I don't recall hearing a number. Like, did they say what they what Screen Gems bought it for? Um, how much they bought it for i do not see a number on here okay so as long as it's yeah as long as it's not some stupid number where they spent like 50 million dollars then very well could have been that or more no and again i truly believe that as long as they didn't spend some inordinate amount of money then personally i think if they spent just my own gut reaction if they spent more than 20 million dollars on the rights, then I think it was a very foolish move because they would need to keep this movie under 50 million if they have a hope of trying to make money on it worldwide. Forget domestic, worldwide. They're gonna, they're, to have a hope of making any money, they gotta keep it under 50 million bucks. Um, I, I just do not see a, I do not see a Just Dance movie making Hundreds of millions of dollars. I don't even see it making a hundred million dollars. I sincerely wish them the best. I don't think it's the worst idea in the world, but I just don't see how they're going to use the video game. I don't. I don't see how they're going to make the. I mean, are, are they going to make it like the Emoji Movie, where those little gray outlines of the people in the background are like somehow real people, and they're on a quest to make themselves look like real people and not look like flat. 2D shadow puppets? <laughs> I, I have no idea. I mean, would you prefer... I mean, like, do you think this makes more sense than, than an emoji movie, or...? To a certain degree. Again, only because there's been tons of uh, dance movies out there. And, and um... God, what? There was, like, a, a... Wasn't there a series in the last couple of years? Like, a... Well, there's still like, You like, Think like You Can a, Dance, or... Battle thought, Dance Royale or with something cheese. like that. Yeah, I thought so. You think you can dance? Is I thought that was a reality show. Oh, but that is. Yeah, and then uh, what? What's her face? Uh, Styles, Julia Styles, right? She was in some kind of dance movie like twenty years ago. Save the Last Dance. Is that is that what it's called? Yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, shoot, come on. 
Breakin' and Breakin' 2, Electric Boogaloo. There's been dance movies for a long time that have done, that are, that are centered around popular dance styles, uh, of the day. Uh, uh, Roller Boogie. I mean, come on. We, so it's not, Matthew, that wasn't a, dancing. That was roller skating. Um, but it was choreographed dance skating. No, they're choreographed dance skating. So hot right now. <laughs> so hot right now. Uh, and, and if they're really good, they can be promoted to fry cook. And so anyway, I, I don't think the idea in and of itself of a just dance movie I don't think it's a bad idea. I just don't understand how they're going to incorporate the video game itself into it. Yeah. And I just hope to God they did not overspend on the rights because they're going to need to make that movie on the cheap. And that's I guess that's all I have to say, sir. That's where I'm at. Yeah, and that's pretty much my news. Uh, the only thing I have to say about Christopher McQuarrie is that I, I like what he did with I mean, I got to rewatch Fallout. I only saw it that one time at the theater. I enjoyed it, but I wasn't on the bandwagon that was just giving it praise left and right. I preferred the one that came before Rogue Nation, I think is what it was called. I just don't want the series to turn into a Harry Potter, David Yates relationship where David Yates has worked on every single Harry Potter movie, including... The Fantastic Beasts movie ever right. since, like, Order of the Phoenix or something. And he brought something great to the Harry Potter franchise, and I really liked it. I mean, especially with Fantastic Beasts. You just need something new and different. You need to take the visual style, you know? And, I mean, you know, it, I, I love blueberry pie, but sometimes <laughs> I like some variations to that blueberry pie. Exactly. And for the record, I just went back and looked. We both gave Mission Impossible Fallout a four. So there you go. I, I can honestly say it's a good movie. I'm just just kind of done with it now. Yeah. Delightful. All right. Well, then I guess we're done with the movies now, or with the news now, and now we need to do some movies, right? Correct. Then here we go, folks. It's the movie we This week's movies are If Beale Street Could Talk, Mary Queen of Scots, and do we just want to wait till you can see Ben is back and talk about it then, or should I talk about it now? You should talk about it. Own it. All right, and Ben is back. So in the interest of making it simple, we will start with Ben is Back. Oh my god, I can't believe it! Hi, Mom. Oh, see you, is it you? Is that Ben? Did you see? He's gained some weight and he's got the sparkle back in his eyes. He's clearly doing better. Well, then why are you hiding everything? We said we weren't going to do this again, remember? I agree. And if it weren't Christmas, you get a day. This time tomorrow, you are back in sober living. Yeah, okay. You do not leave my sight ever because for the next 24 hours you are mine all mine got it i got it he burns i thought you were dead Holy oh my god i put my family in danger this is on you if i don't deal with this then it could be worse next time okay you go in pay the man and get right back out lock the door Can't be calm. 
You need to go home. If you really knew me, you'd be done with me. I know you. No. I know you. You don't, Mom. You don't know me. Unlock the door, Ben, right now. I told you not to believe me, and you didn't listen. All I need is for you to do me just one more little thing. I'm looking for my son. I can tell there's something wrong. You need to come home. Not without Ben. I just need you to please find my son. Things that I've done to myself and others. We can't save them, but you'll hate yourself if you don't try. Just tell me, son, where you want me to bury you. All right, it's a 2018 American drama film. It's written and directed by Peter Hedges and stars Lucas Hedges, his son, uh, in real life, Julia Roberts and Courtney B. Vance. And basically, this is a mom who has a, a drug-addicted son who shows up right before Christmas, out of rehab under suspicious circumstances, and they decide to spend basically the day together um, because it's Christmas. But it, it, it's, I say the day, but it's basically like a 24-hour period, so this movie actually takes place over like two or three days. But um, All right, so... This movie is, I, I think, overall a well-shot movie, and I think it is a well, for the most part, well-acted movie. I think Lucas Hedges did a good job, and I think that given what the material Hedges is directing, which he wrote, again, he wrote it, I think he definitely knows his craft and knows what he's about, and is able to elicit the proper performances. The problem I have is really the story, I feel, is more a melodrama than it is a stock drama that's a, and, and well-crafted. And so I think that even though they do focus on the plight of poor Ben, it, to me, leans more into this movie being a vehicle for Julia Roberts. Um, and... I think it's just overplayed and overwrought more often than not. And so it was kind of, it was kind of trying my patience by the end of the movie. I think it is a very decent movie. And as such, I give it a 3.5, but you, you're, I, I personally feel you're here to watch Julia Roberts try and get an Oscar, not, watch a good movie about a family truly struggling with addiction. And that is all I have to say about that. 3.5 out of 5. I hope that uh, was succinct enough for you, sir. I believe... Well, I mean, I can't say anything about it. <laughs> no, no, just just the review. I didn't, like, you know, meander all over the place for a while. No, know? it was short, concise, to the point. A lot better than what I probably would have done. <laughs> Fair enough. All right, so we still have If Beale Street Could Talk and Mary Queen of Scots uh, 2018. Not that uh, it's a remake or anything, but there are just like 27 films called Mary Queen of Scots, the most recent of which was from 2013. This is the 2018 version. Uh, which one would you like to talk about first, sir? Let's do Mary Queen of Scots. You heard the man. Mary, Queen of Scots. There is news. King Francis is dead. Your cousin Mary has returned to rule in Scotland. 
She is formidable, madam. So, she comes ready for war? Not so. I may command armies, but tell my cousin that we pray for peace. I hope we might meet in person and resolve our destinies. You must confront the truth, madam. She has a claim to your throne. You would have me to pose a sister monarch. It is either civil war there or civil war here. We have a scourge upon our land. A woman with a crown. What says her brother? His allegiance is fully with us. There's no appetite for war. And let us stir an appetite. How cruel men are. All I have done is try to unify this land. But they're trying to usurp my crown. A murderer, a traitor, and a queen. But I will be the woman she is not. We bring into this world an heir to Scotland and to England. No one can know we meet. If you speak of it to anyone, I shall deny. Be my boy's godmother. Be my sister. Mary is our foe. We ask that we never bow to her as we bow before you. You cannot raise an army. Many times you have said I cannot do what I have done. Do not play into their hands. Your heart has more within it than the men who counsel you. You would do well to watch your words. I will not be scolded by my inferior. You're inferior. If you murder me, you murder your sister. And you murder your queen. How did it come to this? All right, we got a 2018 historical drama film uh, directed by Josie Rourke and written by Bo Willman. And this is actually based on John Guy's uh, biography, Queen of Scots, The True Life of Mary Stuart. This one uh, stars Cersei Ronan and uh, Margot Robbie, as well as Jack Lowden and, oh gosh, so many people, Guy Pierce, David Tennant, Brendan Coyle, for those of you who are fans of Downton Abbey. I mean, there's tons of great actors and actresses in here. Um, and what basically the movie in and of itself, and if you haven't quite figured it out, this is kind of the story of the coming together and subsequent fallout of Queen Elizabeth and uh, Mary Queen of Scots. Who or Mary Stuart, um, ultimately leading into some historical decisions that have to get made. Now, in the interest of those who don't follow history, I'm not going to out and out spoil anything for you. But for those of you who do know your history, yeah, it it does the whole. It takes it the whole way. Um. I felt that this movie was going to be somewhat, again, melodramatic, but I was pleasantly surprised by the fact that they really seemed to truly blend solid historical drama with, as best as they could, the historical events of the day. I felt that they also really showed a lot of the underlying tensions that existed for both Mary and Elizabeth because they were women. Although I do feel that... I think Rourke is... kind of... um, I don't know. I felt she was kind of overplaying her hand 
in the directorial department for that regard. Um, I, it's a really good movie though. And I think it's really strong. And I do think that despite the fact that they are leaning against a biography, um, I, I felt that they still interpreted some material to make Mary look a little bit more volatile than I think that she really was. Um, not that I am the best scholar on the planet, but I mean, it's stuff that I have looked into before. And, and so, but I think given what they were doing, given, given the material that they worked with and given the story and the way that it was written, I still think this was an excellent movie. Um, the cinematography is fantastic. And of course the makeup and the costume design is out of this world. Um, so I have no bones about giving this one a 4.5 out of five. I think this is a very, very strong movie and I'm glad that it. in, in, I'm glad we got an early start on this one because I have no doubt that it's going to be on the Oscar list. What do you got there, Tim? At least for probably makeup and costumes and, and all that stuff. I was surprised by this movie. Quite a bit. I was very entertained. And the reason why I was surprised is because with a lot of movies set during this time where you have old religion, old politics, the lineages, the you know hierarchy, monarchy, all the archies, and everything that causes troublesome pain for the one who is ruling. And there's just a lot of information about... Mary, Queen of Scots, and Queen Elizabeth. Sometimes it's just hard to follow, and I felt at ease at the very beginning, like the little, the wordage in this film, like the preface. In two little paragraphs, it sets the whole story up completely. Mary's a Catholic. Queen Elizabeth, a Protestant. The Protestants don't want a Catholic queen. They don't want to bow down to the Pope. So it already paints that picture. So going into the movie, you already know the structure, you know, the bones of the film. And it was just so effortlessly easy to follow what was happening. It was a breath of fresh air for a period piece like this. I just thoroughly enjoyed it. There was a lot more real story elements to it, opposed to other period flicks where... It feels like you're watching an Oscar contender, you know, like it feels like you're watching a movie that was made because of the costumes. With Mary Queen of Scots, every scene, like the fight scene, doesn't feel overtly grandiose. It's all there to support the actual story, because first and foremost, the movie is about this character, Mary Queen of Scots. And one of the main issues I took with the film was the timeline, how the movie was shot. It makes it feel like that the movie takes place over the course of a couple months. But really, it takes place over the course of, what, 30 years or something like that? I can't remember exactly. And a lot of stuff happens within the last, like, five minutes of the movie. The film just completely brushes over a huge chunk of time where you know the two of them must have come to contact with one another within that time, you know, leading up to 
Mary's demise, there has to be something else going on within the historical aspect during the events of the last five minutes of, of the film. And it happens throughout, and I don't want to sound like I'm just picking on the last five minutes. The time changes throughout the entire film. You only notice it when she becomes pregnant and has the baby, and then all of a sudden the baby's older and walking, and it's just like, holy crap, what happened in between? But I give it a four out of five. I thoroughly enjoyed the flick, and I want people to go see it. It was a, uh, it's a surprise, very much like how Papillon was a surprise for me uh, this past year as well. So I, I enjoyed it. Right on. Okay, well then that leaves us with If Beale Street Could Talk. You ready for this? I've never been more ready for anything in my whole life. You know I love you. No matter what happens. I'm yours in your mind and that's it. You and me all the time. Drinking to new life. Tish gonna have Fonny's baby. <laughs> I hope it's a boy. <laughs> Come on over here, daughter. You're a good girl, and I'm proud of you. Don't you ever forget it. And who's gonna be responsible for this baby? The father and the mother. When I hold you in my arms, I gotta hold our baby in my arms. We'll find a way. That child was born of sin. That child. It's your grandchild. What difference does it make how it gets here? Unbow your head, sister. We've known Bonnie all his life. He's about to take something he didn't do. These are our children, and we gotta set them free. Remember, love is what brought you here. And if you trusted love this far, Remember. Beyond Song. All right, 2018 American romantic drama film directed and written by Barry Jenkins, based on James Baldwin's novel of the same name. Uh, basically, we got Kiki Lane, Stephen James, Coleman Domingo, T- uh, Tayona, Paris, uh, Michael Beach, Dave Franco, Diego Luna, Pedro Pascal, Ed Screen, Brian, Tyree Henry, and Regina King all in this film and it's following a couple who follow who who fall in love with one another and sadly um well Tish and Fanny uh Alonzo they fall in love together and uh, unfortunately Fanny is um uh, well let's just say he's up on a rape charge that he didn't commit and Tish finds herself pregnant, and this is kind of the story of them throughout everything. And I think this is a great movie. And I think this is a well-told and well-acted, well-directed, and well-shot story that has been told a lot. And that is both the strength and the weakness of this film, is that it is a story that has been told 
a lot. This is not any kind of commentary on whether or not it should be retold, if it, it should be, if, if whether or not we should be reminded, just that the perils of the story don't really bring anything new to the genre. So I thought that the movie is really, really, really strong. But I would have like, and again, I get they're following a novel. So, I mean, you know, we're, we're doing what's, you can't change it too drastically. Otherwise, what did you, you know, what did you do the novel for? But I think this is a movie that in a way I feel has arrived like 10 years too late and could have been even more powerful had it been told, had, had the movie been made earlier. So I give this one a four out of five, mainly because I don't feel that the story itself is super strong, but God damn, is it well acted? I mean, God, ah, so well acted, so well shot. Um, and so well directed, but and and let's not forget Barry Jenkins brought gave us Moonlight last year. So I mean, we we know that we know we two got years the goods ago. here. Has it already been two years since Moonlight? Really? Yeah, yeah. The God. whole holy Moonlight La La Land debacle. Wow, I can't believe it's already been that long. Oh, that's right, because last year was uh, the the fish movie, M- the the masturbating deaf fish girl, whatever. Oh yes, uh. Phantom Thread. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> shape of water there we go i'll yeah. get there eventually so yeah so it, it's just for me i think the story is just it, it's just been done too many times and so that kind of just hurt it for me uh felt it was a little too predictable um and so that's why it gets a four i just felt that the story could have been stronger or maybe this movie should have been made within the last 10 years instead of now but any acting awards, any directing awards that this thing gets put up for, um, and costuming as well. I think this is great costume, uh, costuming as well will be completely 100% well deserved. And I look forward to seeing what happens because I think it's going to create some very tough choices come Oscar season. And that's what I have to say. Four out of five. What do you got, sir? Bring us home. Is the story familiar? Yes, it definitely is. But. What is not familiar is the filmmaking because director Barry Jenkins did something that I don't think I've ever experienced before in a film. Is the movie flawed? Yes, it is. But what he achieves is creating a movie that is incredibly tender. And that tenderness is not just conveyed through the characters and their performances And the tenderness isn't just only conveyed through the story of Tish and Alonzo, because these are two characters that genuinely love each other. But the film captures that tenderness through its score and how the movie was shot. The movie just kind of has like this beautiful softness to it. It's very dreamlike, and it kind of takes you back to that moment when you fell in love with that person and... You just have that constant bout of butterflies taking up your entire gut. 
And when something horrible happens, or if anything horrible happens or happened to that person you care about, you would do anything you possibly could to help that person. But that love and tenderness is still there. What I was not expecting was a movie about beautiful people. Other than the couple people in this film, featured in this film, who are not good people, obviously who are not good people, everyone else was a genuinely beautiful person that when they had to go towards the extreme, the reasonings seemed logical. For example, Tish's father, when it comes out that she's pregnant, he then turns to Alonzo's dad and they decide to go off and illegally sell garments that they stole. And apparently he did that when his kids were babies because he knew that was his way of making a better life for his kids, for his family. Because of who they are, a black family, at that time, there's a good chance that if he didn't do that, they could have ended up in horrible, horrible circumstances. Granted, the movie isn't about the politics of the criminal justice system in the United States. The movie is about these two characters and what love is, like what you will do for that person, you know. Not necessarily how far you will go, but how deep you are willing to let love, I guess, go inside of you or come inside of you, if that makes any sense whatsoever. It's a beautiful film. I hope everybody can go and see it, make their own opinions. This movie is the epitome of tender, loving care. What I didn't like about the film, because it's based off a book, and they're trying to use this beautiful music to help convey some of the things that were important to the book. You know, they're using music to convey certain things, to, like a mood and emotion and segues into the film. Just some of that storytelling flow or nuance... I thought just was lost in the translation from book to screen. Uh, there's a wonderful dinner party scene of like within the first 15 minutes of the film. Actually, the first 15, 20 minutes of the film is spot on. Wonderful. Loved it. And then it goes into a story about this Puerto Rican woman who plays an integral part in the film. And just that transition from Tish and Alonzo's family to then this other woman to get the story going just felt very out of place and just kind of jerky and that happened a couple times like when it goes to transitions from from certain scenes it's a little jerky but those scenes by themselves every single one of them wonderfully shot and wonderfully directed maybe i gotta see the movie again and i'd appreciate it i don't know but it's still a very good film more than that it's a fantastic film so i'm giving it a 4.5 out of 5 check it out i'm excited about barry jenkins he has not made a movie i did not like so i'm excited to see what he has up his sleeve next right on okay well then that brings us to the end of the movies next week's movies are going to be glass and on the basis of sex we'll also be doing a bonus segment of news and yeehaw. So, I believe we are now finally down to the spiel, are we not? Are we not, sir? Spiel on. Oh, stewardess, I speak jive. Oh, good. He said that he's in great pain and he wants to know if you can help him. All right, would you tell him to just relax and I'll be back as soon as I can with some medicine. 
Just hang loose, blood. She's gonna catch up on the rebound on the med side. What it is, big mama? My mama didn't raise no dummies. I duck her rap. Cut me some slack, Jack. Oh, say, Jack cut it, Jack. Cut it, Jack. Chomp don't want to help. Chomp don't get the help. Say, can't hang. Say, seven up. Jive ass dude don't got no brains in here. Well, the music you've been listening to, as always, has been brought to us by our music partners, Cries of Solace. You can check them out at ReverbNation.com and Facebook.com, both. Slash Cries of Solace. As for us, we are, of course, the SLS Cast. You can find us at SLSCast.com. You can send us an email to the show at SLSCast.com. You can follow us on Twitter at the SLS Cast. You can follow me, this is Matt, on Twitter at nitwit12345. And, of course, come aboard that information superhighway and track down Tim on Twitter, if that's your heart's desire. Also, you can always subscribe to us on iTunes and our favorite on Stitcher Radio, as well as track us down on the old SoundCloud and other podcast directories. If you'd like to support the show, head on over to patreon.com and check us out there and so until next week this is matt saying that thanks to lucas hedges i get to say this i have allergic reactions it triggers my gag reflex when i read unrealistic dialogue from a teenager take care cinephiles and we'll talk at you again next week madam perhaps we should be going oh very well monsieur thank you so much so nice to see you and i hope very much we will see you again very soon au revoir monsieur Thanks again for listening to the SLS Cast with your hosts, Matt and Tim. You can find us over at slscast.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at the SLS Cast. You can send us an email to the show at slscast.com. And of course, you can always subscribe to us on iTunes and or favorite us on Stitcher Radio. Thanks again for listening.